For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time to look into your word. We pray now that as we sang, you would speak, that you would teach us full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. We pray that if there's someone here who does not know you as their personal savior, that they would take care of that tonight. Help them to understand that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross in their place to pay the entire debt that they owe to God so that they can be completely right, completely forgiven by God and so that they can have a relationship with God now and live with God forever in heaven eternally. Father, we pray that you would help us as believers to understand what you're trying to tell us. I ask that you would speak through me. Help me not to get in the way of your message in any way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter number 6, verse 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. I would submit to you that many believers today are not seeing the Lord. What I mean by that is that many believers today, I'm afraid, are not seeing God working in their lives on a daily basis. Sure, we saw the Lord working in our life when we got saved. If you didn't, you should maybe backtrack, look at that and say, am I truly saved? I'm not talking about physically seeing God. I'm talking about saying, I know God was at work in my life at that time. But... If today your Bible reading is a verse a day, if coming to church is sometimes a chore and witnessing to the lost never even happens anymore, I would submit to you that you are probably not seeing God working in your life on a daily basis. In this passage, Isaiah got to see God in a vision and his eyes were open to three truths. First of all, Isaiah's eyes were open to God's holiness or his separateness, his uniqueness. Um, Look at verse one again. We'll just read exactly what we just read. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. And let's notice what the passage does not say. Isaiah doesn't say, I got to look into heaven. God gave me this glorious vision. It was absolutely beautiful, breathtaking. The angels singing were amazing. The sights were unbelievable. And after a half hour of all of this, I finally figured out which of these glorious beings was the Lord. He does not say that. He says, I saw also the Lord. When Isaiah saw the king of glory in his holiness, there was no mistaking God for the angels, or for anyone, or anything else. God is uncomparable. Kind of a lousy illustration of this, but I think you'll enjoy it. Um, 1988, my family and I were living in Germany. Uh, I grew up in Germany. My folks are missionaries there. And uh, we got to take a trip over to England uh, on the ferry. Got to see London, the Tower of London. They have the crown jewels. And among other things, they have 
the world's largest cut diamond, or at least at the time it was. I don't know if it still is, but it's the Star of Africa, about that large, all right? And uh, we're looking at these different exhibits, and a few years before that, we had been to the Smithsonian here in America, where uh, we have the world's largest blue diamond, which is called the Hope Diamond. It's about that big, all right? This is rough estimation, but most of you ladies wouldn't mind having even that on your hand, all right? Now, as my mother is looking at the Star of Africa, all right, she blurts out in her American ignorance, oh, is that the Hope Diamond? The British beef eater standing there could not contain himself. He goes, the Hope Diamond? They put all these gods around this puny little stone. I don't know why they even bother. All right, in that man's opinion, there was no comparing the puny little hope diamond to the massive star of Africa. She thought she brought down the wrath of the crown on her. All right. Now, like I said, kind of a lousy illustration, but there is no comparing God with anyone or anything else. He is uncomparable. He is perfect in holiness. The key here is that Isaiah got a good, solid look at God. At God's glory, all right? Um, and I believe it would fundamentally change us in the way we walk with the Lord and the way that we live our Christian lives if we were to get a good look at God. I was reading a book a while back, and um, a pastor uh, who was counseling a man who was struggling um, specifically with his eyes, he said, you know... Um, I just really struggle uh, in this area uh, sexually. He said, um, a a woman's body is just so beautiful, I I, I can't not look. You know what this pastor said? He said, if you were to get a good look at God and see him and his beauty, it would dwarf anything that you could see elsewhere. Folks, we need to get a good grasp on who God is. If we are going to be God's heart, His hands, His voice, we've got to first understand what it is we're trying to be. We've got to get a good look at God and His holiness. Notice the angels reaffirm God's holiness for us. Look at verse 3. Actually, verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain, he covered his face. And with twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. Notice the angels have six wings, but only two of them are for flying. The other four are to shield themselves from the radiant holiness of God Almighty. Folks, God, His holiness is... um, uh, We can't describe it. Words cannot do it justice. We'll get to that in a little bit. I will try to describe it for you as feebly as I can. But notice the angels also mention God's holiness. They're proclaiming it day and night. Look at verse 3. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. First of all, Isaiah saw God's holiness. Brothers and sisters, we don't get to see God in visions the way Isaiah did back then, but we can see God's holiness in this book, can we not? We as believers, if we are going to see God working in our lives on a daily basis, have to be people of the word and in prayer. We've got to spend time doing both and not because we have to, but because we want to. I'm talking about dwelling in the word. 
I know some of you are not morning people. You say, you know, I keep hearing it preached that I need to be in my Bible. The Bible says, early will I seek thee. It's talking about, it's saying, as a high priority. I'm going to set this at the top of my priority list. I'm going to give God the best part of my day. Whatever time you learn best, whatever way you learn best, use that to spend time with God. And do it multiple times a day if you're able to. Memorize it, then you can pull it up anytime you want to in your mind and run through it and let it change you. First of all, Isaiah saw God's holiness. Second, he saw his own sinfulness. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The light of God's holiness instantly revealed Isaiah's sinfulness. Um, 1 John 1.7 reads, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. God's word is the light in which we must walk. I just talked about that. It reveals God's holiness to us. But did you know that the Bible is also likened unto a mirror in the book of James, chapter number 1, in which we can see our true selves. Um, my dad, a while back, came back from Germany on a brief furlough. My wife and I, uh, my wife Jenny and I, were living in Wisconsin at the time. And um, my dad really wanted to go see the Creation Museum, Ken Ham's Creation Museum there in the Cincinnati area. And uh, any of you been there? Anyone been to the Creation Museum? Okay. Um, if you ever get the chance to go, if you're ever over in the Midwest, let me encourage you to take that opportunity. It's really neat. If you can take an unbeliever with you, that's even better. There is a clear as a bell gospel presentation at the end of that tour through the museum. Anyway, as you walk into the museum, um, they got full-size dinosaurs. And uh, my dad and I went there. We brought my aunt along with us. Jenny had to stay home. She was doing homework. She was still in college. And uh, we walked through the museum. And they got a full-height cross-section cutout of Noah's Ark. He's just about done with building the whole thing. Not the original, obviously, uh, but the original scale. Um, but then they wa- you walk down the hall around the corner, they got a scaled-down model of what the inside of Noah's Ark might have looked like, just to kind of help your imagination, to help you see, you know, they got little stalls where they would have kept the animals and uh, maybe feeder troughs and things like that. And uh, my aunt, in her mischievous sense of humor, had already looked at this exhibit. So she sticks her head inside and goes, oh, hey, look, they brought a monkey. So I stick my head inside and see myself in the mirror. I said, yeah. thanks, Aunt Rebecca, I appreciate that. So we waited for my dad to come around the corner. We played the same trick on him. We had a great time. The point is, when I pulled my head back out, I didn't say, are you calling my wife, Jenny, a monkey? No, she's back at home doing her homework. I saw myself in the mirror, brothers and sisters, when we are memorizing scripture, when we are meditating on the word of God, when we are reading the word of God, when we are faithful in our prayer life, when we are spending time building our relationship with God, we will see ourselves for who we really are. And we will gain encouragement for where we have grown in the Lord, for where we've become more like God, but also admonition or where we need to get something right with God. So, first of all, Isaiah saw God's holiness. Second, he saw his own sinfulness. And when we see our own sinfulness, the only right response is repentance. 
the only response that will generate anything good for us in our lives is repentance. Acts 3.19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, gone forever. If you have not had your sins blotted out, let me encourage you to take care of that today. I would love to sit down with you. I know Pastor would. Any of these missionaries would love to sit down with you and share with you the old, old story that never gets old, how that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life because he is God. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He rose again on the third day, which proves that he's God. And now he lives to offer you salvation. And all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ. Depend on him. Not just say, yeah, I believe that he exists. Yeah, I believe he died for me. But saying, yes, I am placing my dependence on Jesus Christ to be the payment for my sin. All of it. There is nothing else I can do to get myself to heaven. That's the message of salvation. That's the gospel. The good news that we get to preach. Back in the Roman days, when they had good news, they'd come along and they'd say, Hey, gospel, Caesar just had a son. Hey, gospel, the empire just got bigger. Paul says, gospel, your sins can be forgiven. Folks, that is our gospel. That is our good news. Now, if you've never done that, please take care of that. But for Isaiah who I believe, and scholars differ on this, but I believe Isaiah was already a man of God. I believe he already had a real relationship with God. Repentance, I believe, for him was only necessary for restoration to fellowship and usefulness. Look at verses 6 and 7 where God responds with forgiveness. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Then notice that God immediately follows forgiveness with a request for service. Look at verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa. That does not go along with our method of thinking, does it? When we see someone in our church fall into sin, and then we encourage them nicely or not so nicely in our carnality sometimes to get out of that, and they finally do repent, what's our response? We kind of put them on the shelf, don't we? Now, I understand in church discipline... I understand us as humans, we cannot see people's hearts. I understand that sometimes protective measures have to be taken depending on the sin that they fell into. I understand all that. But here's what I'm saying. When you sin and God forgives you, he knows your heart. He knows that you truly meant it, or if you didn't, he knows how many times you're going to fail in the future. And he still forgives you and he does not browbeat you. He doesn't say, look at how badly you failed. What in the world were you thinking? God doesn't do that. He says, I forgive you. And in the same breath, he says, I want to use you. He is your loving heavenly father. God does not put Isaiah on the shelf. He doesn't say, Isaiah, you're going to have to do some small stuff for me. And then I'll think about giving you a bigger job. He doesn't do that. He says, 
Who's going to go for us? You're the only one in the audience, Isaiah. Who's going to go? And Isaiah, folks, responds. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But the point here is that God did not create you. And if you are a child of God, save you from your sins, regardless of if you're a child of God or not, he's paid for your sins so that you can sit here and warm a pew. We are to be used of the Lord. We are to get out there and storm the gates of hell using the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to save all who will believe from the pit of hell. Now, let me qualify that. Some of you are going, whoa, you're getting a little overboard there. I understand we are to confront people with the truth of the gospel. All right. The Holy Spirit does the work in their hearts. It is not my job to coerce somebody. But what I'm saying is we need to get aggressive about sharing the gospel with the lost. Aggressive in a kind way. Okay. Not mean, not angry, but urgent, urgent. Do we understand how important the message of the gospel is? Do we understand that this is not just life and death? If it was just life and death, it wouldn't be a big deal. This is an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. One person, one evangelist I heard put it this way. He said, if you were to take a spoon and take it to the Pacific Ocean and get a a spoonful of sand and then walk across the United States and then dump it, on the Atlantic Ocean, on the shore there, and then go back, you clear out all of the sand on the Pacific coast and put it on the Atlantic coast, you have not passed one second of eternity. Eternity is still forever. Do we understand that? Folks, Isaiah saw God's holiness. He saw his own sinfulness. And third, Isaiah saw his own indebtedness. Look at verse 8 in the second half. The Bible says, then said I, here am I, send me. After Isaiah has been forgiven, he has gotten a good look at who God is. He is fully willing to do God's bidding. Get this because he bases his decision on the character of God, not the ease of the task. He bases his decision on. On the character of God, not the ease of the task. He does not ask God, is this going to take a long time? Are the people going to listen? Is this going to be an easy job or a hard job? By the way, God does answer all of those questions. If we were to read to the end of the chapter, it's kind of depressing. Because God goes, yeah, it's going to take a long time. People aren't really going to listen. It's going to be tough. Have fun. Yay. But when Isaiah gets a good look at God, he says, that is all the information I need. That's it. I'm not basing my decision on how hard this is going to be. The fact that I may never see a single convert. We don't know if Isaiah saw a single convert. Who knows? But if maybe the Ethiopian eunuch might have been Isaiah's first convert. Of course, Isaiah was long in the grave by that point. But there's the Ethiopian eunuch reading the book of Isaiah. And here comes Philip running alongside the chariot. Says, do you get what you're reading? Says, not really. And Philip gets to explain it to him. The Ethiopian eunuch comes into a right relationship with God. He gets saved. We don't know. We don't know how many other people read the book of Isaiah. And since then, obviously, have read it and have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. But folks, Isaiah based his decision on the character of God. Jenny and I. 
and our three kids, Nathan, he's six, William's four, Lillian, she's just a little squirt, she's 15 months, and she needs to be saved bad. (laughs) She's cute as a button, but she's a wretch, too. Um, We are not going to Germany because it's going to be easy. When we get off the airplane there in Hamburg, Germany, people are probably not going to line up at the airport and go, thank you so much for coming. We've been waiting for you to come. Give me a gospel tract. How do I get saved? Sign me up. In an atheistic country that's now being heavily influenced by Islam and radical Islam at that, that is not likely to happen. But we are going there because God loves those people. God sent His Son to die on the cross for those dear people. And He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And because He has called me and my family specifically to share the gospel with those dear people on behalf of churches just like this one. We want to be an extension of your ministry. We want you to pray for us. That is the absolute best thing you can do for us. If the Lord leads, if He provides, support us. Yes, we need money. All right? But we can go to Germany with all the money in the world and build impressive buildings and start all kinds of neat programs and not see change in people's hearts if you're not praying. We've got to have you folks praying for us. I do not buy into the idea these days that prayer only changes the prayer. I believe that God holds back blessing in reserve and waits for us to ask and ask earnestly. And I think sometimes God goes, is that really all you want? I got a lot more. We ask too small, don't we? We go, God, please, 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 please pay for the foundation. God says, I got the money for the whole building. Okay? God has so much more for us. We say, help me to see one soul saved. God says, I got a whole town. Folks, believers today who are reading their Bible, Believers today who are memorizing Scripture, meditating on the Word of God, spending real time in prayer, those are the ones who see God working in their hearts on a daily basis, and they make their decisions based on the character of God, not the ease of the task. The fields are white unto harvest. Sometimes I don't think we believe it, do we? I mean, Jesus said it, but sometimes... We say, you know, I think maybe then they were white and now they're rotten. Or, or maybe we've replanted and now they're kind of greenish, but they're not white yet. We buy into that sometimes, don't we? I got a neighbor lady. I've witnessed to her in the past. And uh, uh, when I really started getting into the gospel, she very clearly, on purpose, blatantly changed the topic and made it very clear that she did not want to talk about that. Folks, we get people changing the topic. We get the cold shoulder. We get the door slammed in our face. It happens, doesn't it? But I believe what it means is that there are still people out there in your community, in your family, at your workplace who are ripe right now to hear the gospel. Maybe they're not ready to become a child of God yet, but the gospel given to them now is is going to bear fruit later. Folks, I used to work at Walmart, and I had great opportunities to witness. These days, if you want to be a testimony at work, all you got to do is smile, okay? The world is getting so down in the dumps um, that all you got to do is punch in and have a smile on your face. Now, I understand we got different personalities, and the Lord uses different people different ways. I get that. So if that's not you, don't glue a smile to your face, but have the joy of the Lord in your heart. 
I would greet people and people would say, why are you happy all the time? I mean, is your shift almost over? I'm like, no, I just punched in. And people would say, what's different about you? I had multiple opportunities to give the gospel. Great opportunities. One guy just he stopped me. He said, why are you different? What's your secret? I got to give him the whole plan of salvation. Folks, the fields are white unto harvest, but you will not obey God's command to go and preach the gospel to every creature until you see God working in your heart and in your life on a daily basis. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that you give us the privilege to be your heart and your hands and your voice, to to be an extension of, of who you are, to bring you more glory, to make you more beautiful, which I don't understand. But I thank you that we have that privilege to draw more attention to you. Because in and of yourself, we cannot make you more beautiful, but we can draw more attention to you. And we are so thankful for that. We can expose more of who you are to the lost by the fact that we are imperfect And yet we've been forgiven. We pray that you would help us now in this time of invitation to respond as you want us to respond. I pray that if there's someone here who does not know you as their savior, that they would get that taken care of tonight. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I got just a couple of questions. Uh, First of all, do you know for sure that you are a child of God? If you'd say, Brother Peterson, I am not sure you talked about having my sins blotted out. You talked about placing my faith in Jesus Christ. And honestly, I don't know if I've ever done that. Or maybe you say, Brother Peterson, I know I've, I've never done that. I, I'm not a child of God. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand. Thank you. I see that hand. Anyone else who say, Brother Peterson, I'm not sure if I'm a child of God. Anyone else that say, would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up. Anyone else? All right, brother, sister in Christ, one more question for you. I know we can all do better in our walk with the Lord. I know we can all do better in our witness for the Lord. That's not my question. My question is simply, is God speaking to you concerning this? Is he tugging on your heart saying, you know, you need to do something here. I've clearly shown you what I want you to do. If God's speaking to your heart, would you just slip your hand up as a testimony of a tender heart? Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands all over. Thank you. Any, anyone else? Say, Brother Peterson. Yes, thank you. I see that hand. God's speaking to me. Thank you. About my relationship with God. Thank you. I see that hand. God's speaking to me maybe about my witness. I know there is someone specific. Thank you. I see that hand that God has laid on my heart. This is missions conference. The best time in the world. You can go hand somebody a gospel track. Invite them to church. We got services every night. And we got all kinds of missionaries that want to lead people to the Lord be a great time to bring someone to church. Great time to witness to somebody. Father, you've seen our hands. You know our hearts. I ask now that you'd work in this time of invitation. I pray specifically um, for this one that raised their hand that they would not leave here um, without placing their faith in you. I don't know um, what the situations are, but I know that you are not willing that any should perish. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.